Good morning, again. Great to have you here this morning in the house of the Lord. Uh, Pastor Benny and Pastor Kelly and Pastor Sean, his family, are under the weather. And so he asked me, I was kind of scheduled to preach anyways, uh, continuing in our study of the book of Matthew. <clears throat> and so, um, but they are, we want to pray for them that God will touch them and just, you know, restore their health and everything. Uh, I heard about this man who, who was out in the country and he went to this country store, you know, where there's a big porch and stairs and everything. And there's this little boy sitting on the front porch and he had this huge dog. And the stranger went up, this man went up and said, son, does your dog bite? And uh, the little boy said, no, no sir, my, my dog does not bite. And so uh, the man, you know, reaches out, he's going to pet him and boom, the dog grabbed a hold of his arm and just about pulled it off. And he, and he said, son, I thought you said your dog didn't bite. And the little boy said, sir, that's not my dog. <laughs> Never assume, right? Never assume. Uh, let me ask you a question with some pictures to show it. How many grew up listening to music on one of these? See your hands. Whoa, got some old people here. <laughs> How many still listen to music on one of these? Eh, a couple. How about this? A track, yeah. Amen. All this missing from here is the truck, the hound dog, and the gun. How about this thing? How many listen to music on this ancient thing, right? And then this? Yeah. How many listen to CDs now? All right, some of you, yeah. How many, how many listen to music on this? Yeah, a lot of us do, right? This is just one thing of how things can be superseded and changed and in proved upon. Uh, we could use other things like television, telephones, pens. Uh, things change in church, right? Change, uh, church music. If, if you grew up, you know, in the 50s, you would not know the music of today if you were stuck in the 50s. Uh, church dress changes also. Yeah, there was a time where everyone would be wearing a suit and tie. But that changed, thank God. Amen? Amen? There are some things that change. There are some things that should change. There are some things that need to change. And there are some things that should never be changed. Like my wife's, Karen's, pecan pie <laughs> that she makes for me at Father's Day. This year, she altered it. I said, don't ever change that recipe. And of course, she was trying to make it better, but, you know, some things should never be changed. But there's one thing that will never and can never be changed, and that is the word of the living God. Amen. Never change. Always the same. Men have tried to destroy it. Put it out of commission. I like what Charles Spurgeon, the great famous preacher of the 1800s said, the word of God is an anvil upon which the opinions of men are smashed. It is that unmovable 
piece of solid rock steel that other things will be broken upon. Jesus addresses this as we continue. If you want to turn your Bibles, whether you have your electronic Bible or if you have a paper Bible, Matthew 5, we're going to look at 17 to 20. Pastor Benny asked me if I would continue in the uh, study that we're on in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Benny's done an excellent job of exegeting and sharing the Word of God. You are blessed here to have a wonderful teaching pastor. And I'm just honored to be here to be able to continue in this Sermon on the Mount. All right, we're in 17. Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, now when Jesus said assuredly, you better listen up because he's serious. Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. These verses are transitional. From what has just gone on, where Jesus is talking about salt and light that we are in the world, to what's coming up. And how he begins, verse 17, gives us a little hint of what he's going to be saying. Because he doesn't want them to be misunderstood by what he's going to be saying. And so he says this, do not think. Actually, it means do not suppose. Or do not assume. Because it's in human nature to assume things by what we see or by what we hear, and sometimes our assumptions. Have you ever found sometimes your assumptions are off? <laughs> I have a friend who's an evangelist, Craig Fassler, and, and many years ago when he was less wise than he is today, him and his wife were out uh, in a park, and uh, he saw this woman at the picnic table, not too far away, smoking, and she's pregnant. So Craig, in his enthusiasm for young life, he said to his wife, I'm going to go over and tell her that smoking is not good for you when you're pregnant. She said, don't go, Craig, don't get involved. So anyways, he goes over and says what he's going to say. A woman gets up, she's red in her face, she starts cursing and swearing at him, and she says, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> the uh, moral of the story is, listen to your wife. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Jesus is going to say this six times after the verses we're looking at today. He's going to say this. So he's preparing them for what's coming up because they will make a wrong assumption like my friend did. 
He's going to say this six times leading into things that would be controversial to them. You have heard that it was said of old, but I say to you, okay? So Jesus is saying, verse 17, preparation. Do not think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets, which would be the Old Testament. Basically, when the Jews heard of the law of the law, the prophets and the Psalms, it was the whole Old Testament. He said, I've come to fulfill it. All right, what does it mean when Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the whole Old Testament? One thing, of course, is obvious. He came to fulfill all the prophecies from Genesis to uh, Malachi. Everything about Jesus that was spoken of in the Old Testament speaks of him, and he's fulfilling those things. Most of them are fulfilled. There's some things that aren't. Secondly, he's fulfilling the Old Testament by clarifying it, by bringing out the true meaning of the Old Testament. Thirdly, he is fulfilling the Old Testament, listen, by being the only man that has ever perfectly obeyed everything in the law without one sin and without one mistake. You see, the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is about Jesus. The Old Testament is simply, listen, the Old Testament is simply a shadow of something that's to come. If you could think of the Old Testament as this shadow, all right? Here's Genesis 1.1. Here's Malachi chapter 3. Everything in between. All the law, all the prophets, all the Psalms are simply a shadow that are bringing about because of what? The substance. And the man would represent Jesus, see? Jesus is the substance. The Old Testament is the shadow. Jesus put it, put it this way. He said, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law, listen, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and the next two words are important, concerning me. So when you read the Old Testament in your soap reading, look for Jesus. <clears throat> How many have seen that children's book. It's called Where's Waldo? Anybody seen that? Where's Waldo? Waldo is this uh, sometimes obscure person in this picture that has a lot of objects and things, and you kind of search for, and you find Waldo. The same thing is true in the Old Testament. When you read it, listen, friends, when you read it, the first thing you need to do is, where's Jesus? You can find him as early as Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. So he fulfilled the law and the prophets by fulfilling the prophecies, by defining the true meaning of the word of God. But also, he did it <laughs> as the only man who ever obeyed it all. Hmm. Now, why did Jesus come and obey everything that was in the law and the prophets. Romans 8.4 gives us a hint. Jesus did what he did 
that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You know what? Everything that Jesus did, he didn't do for himself. He did for us. He lived a perfect life so he could put his righteousness into us. Here's what Paul, he kind of clarifies it. This, this verse will blow you away if you meditate on it. For he, God, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us on the cross, that we might become huh, the righteousness of God in him. Our moral, listen, every one of us, our moral and spiritual bank account before we came to Christ was not only empty, it was overdrawn. Amen? How many know what I mean, right? Some of yours was overdrawn more than others. If you know what I mean. Big time in the red. <clears throat> How many know what direct deposit is? How many get direct deposit? Right, Social Security or your work or whatever. Let me put it this way. <laughs> when you accepted Jesus, God direct deposited the righteousness of Christ into your moral and spiritual bank account. He filled it up with the righteousness of Jesus because our righteousness alone would never do. And so he applied it, what Jesus did, living a righteous life as if we had lived that life. See, Jesus got an A in everything. And your report card now reads, not F, but it reads A. For all right. You're all right. To God, you're all right. Sometimes you wonder, but you know. So when we accept Jesus, because he fulfilled the law and the prophets, not for himself, yes, for himself, but for us. Now Jesus goes on, verse 18. Let me read it for you, if you have it. Matthew 5 and verse 18. For assuredly I say to you, here's where the unchanging word of God comes in. <clears throat> Till heaven and earth pass away. One jot or one tittle, these are Hebrew words we'll get into just a little bit, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Amplified says, until all things it foreshadows have been accomplished. I love how, listen, how the message translation reads it, okay? Listen up, okay? Let me just read it for you. Don't suppose for a minute that I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. This is Matthew 5, 17, what we've read. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together. Pull it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after, long after stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. God's law is unchangeable. God's word is unchangeable. Men may try to change it, but it's unchangeable. 
Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth, again, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. There's one book that's going to be in heaven. It's the word of God. Yeah. The word pass away here means to be voided. Voided. And this, his word may be avoided, but never avoided. You can avoid it. You can say it's not true, but it will never be voided because God spoke it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's been breathed into man and written down by man. The perfect word of God. It's unchanging. Um, I like what the psalmist wrote about the word. <laughs> this is beautiful. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Notice where it's settled. Not in New York, not in D.C., not in Los Angeles or Paris or London. No, no. God's word is settled in heaven. Unchanging. Always the same. I, I used to say this. Maybe you did too. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. How many have ever heard that little saying? It's wrong. Oh. This is how it should be. God said it. That settles it. I believe it. Yeah, it's not my believing it that settles it. It's already settled. And I believe what's been settled. I believe the promises because they came from God who is unsettled himself. With him, there is no changing. With him, there is no variation, James says. And his word is the same. God's settled word settles us. The more you have of the word the more of a settled mind and heart you will have. I say that what Pepsid is to an upset stomach, God's word is to an upset mind. But if you know anything about medicine, it's only good as you take it. You can have Pepsid on the shelf and your stomach's upset. It's not going to do any good looking at it. You've got to digest it. Same thing with the word of God. You've got to take it in. You've got to digest it. And I'm telling you, friends, the more of the word of God you have in your mind and heart, the more settled you will be and the more peace you will have. Even in the storm, you will have peace. Remember the storm the boys were in? Jesus was asleep. He was the most peaceful person in the storm. They wake him up. <clears throat> he gets up. And he speaks to the storm and he says, peace be still. Boom, everything went quiet. That's the effect that God's word can have on our mind. Peace, be still. Isaiah 26 and, and, and verse three, I love this verse. Uh, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed 
on him. One way of keeping our mind stayed on him is to keep our mind stayed on his word. Where's your mind? How many, I won't ask that question. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> How many have wandering minds? Just wander. My wife calls that, when I wander, shiny object syndrome. Anybody ever have that? You're talking about something. I was talking about something this morning. I look, oh, look over there, you know. Had nothing to do. God's word keeps us focused, keeps us peaceful. Amen? The more you have of it, the better you will be. Okay, now, what about this jot and tittle in verse 18? It's a Hebrew expressions for like a part of a letter or what we would know of, even though they didn't have punctuation, as a punctuation mark, sort of like, it would be, it would be like the smallest part on an exclamation point. That would be it, just the smallest part. And Jesus said, not even the littlest, tiniest bit of God's word in the Old Testament is going to be changed. Now, some things are superseded. The cross supersedes the sacrifices, okay? That's, that changes but it's all a part of the plan. Verse 19, okay, as we kind of wrap this up. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these laws, notice what he says, whoever therefore breaks, disobeys one of the least of these laws and teaches others to do that will be called least. But those who Obey, notice the order here, no, those who obey the word of God and teach it, they will be called the greatest. Notice the order. Those who do it and then teach it. If you only teach it and don't do it, you're like the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. They knew a lot, but they didn't do what they knew. And really, in one sense, the best teaching that's done is not what comes out of our mouth, but it's what comes out of our life. As parents, we are children makers by our modeling. How we live, they, they, they say this, some things are more caught than taught. Your children will pick up on who you are. Good or bad, the longer they hang around with you, the more they will be like you. So what you teach, you better practice, right? What's the old saying? Practice what you preach, right? So here's a guy at home and, you know, he's tired and a call comes in. He doesn't want to talk to the person, you know, and he just told his children, don't lie, don't ever lie, don't ever tell the untruth. And so a call comes in. He just doesn't want to talk to this person. So he says to his wife, he said, just tell him I'm not home. Whoa, what's the child going to think? You tell me not to lie and you lie. See, modeling is the teacher. So Jesus says, whoever does the word and then teaches the word 
by their actions and by what comes out of their mouth, they'll be called greatest in the kingdom of God. See, the blessing of the Lord and the blessing of his word comes by the doing of his word. That's the blessing. Uh, verse 20. Now, when we read verse 20, it'll have a little impact upon us. We'll say, oh, that's nice. But for the people that heard that originally, it, it just shocked them. They went backwards. It blew them away. Here's what he said. For I say to you, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will no, mind, no means enter the kingdom of God. You know what they would say? Pharisees, you've heard the word Pharisees, right? They had PhDs in holiness. The scribes had PhDs, university trained in the word of God. And now Jesus... Come on, Jesus. You're telling, how can my righteousness exceed their righteousness? All right, we need to say, well, what was their righteousness? Because our righteousness is to exceed that, go beyond that. Let's first of all look at how Jesus addressed the Pharisees. You know, they, he wasn't too popular among the religious establishment. Truth is never popular among religious establishments. Here's what he said, you know. He wasn't concerned about making friends. He said, whoa to you. Yeah, when Jesus says, whoa, you better listen up. Whoa. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. They were religious, they wore the robes, they went to church all the time. They could quote the word of God upward and downward and backward and forward. They knew the five books of the Old Testament, first five books, huh? But they were stealing from widows. What kind of, what kind of righteousness is that? And for a pretense, they make long prayers to be heard, Jesus said in another play. You know, long prayers may not make you righteous. If they're real long prayers, they can. All right, let's finish up. They will receive a greater condemnation. Now, here's what he said also at another time. He said, Matthew 23, 28. This is about the Pharisees. Even so, you also, notice the next two words, outwardly appear righteous. But inside, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. <laughs> Another place he said, you appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you are full of dead man's bones. How would you like Pastor Benny up here one day to say that to you? You appear righteous outwardly, but you are like dead bones inside. Not come back to that church anymore, you know? I mean, Jesus cut it straight, didn't he? Outwardly and appearing righteous. <clears throat> All show no substance. That's the righteousness of the Pharisees. They were like mannequins at Macy's. 
beautifully dressed on the outside, looking beautiful, but they're dead, dead, dead. David prayed this, and you may want to pick up on this. He said in Psalm 51, good prayer. I just lost the word of God. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. May my motives, my interior, the thoughts I think, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David said this prayer in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. He said, search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. See, the righteousness of the Pharisees was outward. Jesus said, your righteousness can't be just show and no substance. It has to be inward. You can't just be showy and try to show love. You've got to have it in your heart. We don't want to just look good. We want to do good. Yeah. So the righteousness of the Pharisees outward, the righteousness that Jesus was talking about is right inside of our hearts. All right, we talked a lot, covered many things. Let me just give you some summary thoughts, okay? Uh, <clears throat> I would say if you come to church, you listen to a message, there's a lot of information we as preachers, man, we research, we look, we get scriptures, we, we lay all this out, and we just know everybody's taking notes, and they're going to memorize everything. And now, if you can capture one thing and take it home, that's what I want today, that God may speak to you in one thing. See, it's not, it's not in what we know, it's what we do with what we know. You see, how many, how many do the soap reading? Soap reading, yeah. That's a reading scripture, um, observation prayer, etc. You're not done with the soap until you do what the soap says. Living God's word is the purpose of taking in God's word. I mentioned this earlier, it just came back to my mind. I like the word soap as an acrostic, but it's also a picture of what the word of God will do to our minds. It'll clean them out. Two things that the word of God does to our mind, it disinfects our mind, but then it also deodorizes our mind. What am I talking about? I'm talking about your thinking. You know, if you don't have your mind deodorized with the word of God, you have what one person said is stinking thinking. How many know what stinking thinking is? You know, you know what that is. Negative, always complaining about this or that. Oh, that's not going to work. It's the it's not even the, ha the cup half full. It's the empty cup kind of person, you know? The word of God <clears throat> will wash your mind 
will destroy the germs that you get from the world and will give you a sweet smelling attitude. A few points as we close. Jesus said he fulfilled. I've come to fulfill. He fulfilled all the prophecies that were written about him. But for us personally, he fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law and then he he gave us when we accepted him. He put that on our account so that we can come now before the Father with boldness and not shame. Hallelujah. What a privilege it is to enter into God's presence and not feel shame, but to feel I'm okay. The Old Testament is a shadow pointing to Jesus. Every time you read it, look for Jesus. God's word is settled in heaven. And when you get God's word in your heart, you'll have the settledness of heaven in your heart. If I've got an unsettled heart, Wes, if I've got an unsettled mind, how much do I read? You read until you get peace. That's one thing you can do. You read until God speaks to you like Jesus spoke to the storm. Boom, peace. Let me confess, there are times, this is time to go. There are times where you read and you don't get nothing. Bad language, but you know what? How many have read the Bible and then you say, man, I don't get anything out of that. Anybody done that? Anybody feel like me? Yeah, I read. After I read, I say, man, I don't feel anything. You know? But here's the point. Every time you read, you're planting a seed. That seed may not come in the moment after you're done closing the book. But 11 o'clock in the morning, when you need something, you've got a seed planted in there, and that seed planted will sprout up and will give you peace when you're encountering something at 11 o'clock. So don't, don't be dismayed that you don't get anything on the first reading. Just read. Soap it up. And then finally, we're to be about substance, not just show. Paul said if we live without love, we're like an empty gong. We make some noise, but we have no substance inside. Let's not be like the Pharisees. But let the righteousness of Jesus work in our hearts. We're in a process. You know what, friends? Every one of us is in a process, wherever you are. You're on a growth. You know, growth track is just not four weeks here at Calvary. Growth track is all your life. So keep growing. Keep loving God. And the end will be good. Amen. Let's stand. I want to pray for us right now. I believe that uh, Jesus wants to heal somebody here today. Uh, Maybe online. You're watching. There's many things, but I, I sense that there's someone who has like a sore throat. I saw like a red throat. 
and, and the Lord wants to heal you. Or, or if you have a, maybe your ear is bothering you or you've got eye problems or pain in your joints, I believe that Jesus still heals today. And he's right here in this room. And so I want to pray for you. If you have any pain, just lay your hand right there. If it's on your knee, lay it on the knee. If it's on your throat, ear, eyes, just lay your hand there. I want to come in agreement with you and with the Word of God. By His stripes, we are healed. Peter and John goes to the temple, and there's a guy that's been laying there, paralyzed. Peter says, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And that brother got up and walked. The same Jesus. I want to tell you, it's here. So, Father, right now, I come in agreement with my friends in the family here. God, sickness is not of you. We experience it, yes, but I want to pray, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, right now, I say in his name, be healed, let pain be gone, let sickness be gone, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Let the healing flow here this morning, Lord. Let the healing flow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. <laughs> yeah. And while we're here right now, just in a moment of prayer, I want you to just take a little quiet time right now, 30 seconds, and just say, Lord, is there anything you want to have me take away today. Anything you're dealing with me in my life. I want to take that. I want to work on that. Just right now, 30 seconds. worship team. Could we sing that chorus again? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Can one of you lead that? Amen. Let's just sing this little chorus before we go.